This is The Shift Podcast. Today on The Shift Daily Podcast are two of the biggest pop stars in the world. The same person? Well, you get to hear that. I don't think they are, but they sure sound like it. Boeing and NASA have revealed a next-gen aircraft unlike anything in the skies today. Joshua Brinkerhoff, associate producer of mechanical engineering at UBC, helps us understand how hydrogen fuel, new aerodynamic designs, and unconventional ideas will change the way we fly from this whole tube with wings on it that we know it today. And do you want free apps on your phone? You're getting them whether you like it or not, or should we be asked first? Handy Andy Barrar helps us walk through Apple's new apps and how AI is sneaking its way into Canadian campuses and high schools, allowing kids to cheat. Are you okay with the Vancouver Canucks? It'll make sense shortly. The Shift Daily Podcast. This is the Shift Podcast. There is a conspiracy theory about uh, who this artist is truly. Now, thanks to Ryan O'Donnell's internet sleuthing, um, we found the conspiracy theory audio. Here's the conspiracy theory. Do you believe it? Yes or no? Adele, Sam Smith, same person. Uh n- I'm going to have to go with no, Shane, on that one. I don't think that... I, I believe that it's two different together? people. Have you I'm seen them pretty together? sure Sam Smith was at Adele's album party for the new album. I'm pretty sure. Have you but, seen them uh, together? I have not personally seen okay, the two well, of them then, together. Okay, then let's, let's do the thing. So here's okay. the thing is that um, it's kind of like the Rick Astley thing from back in the day <laughs> is really what's being recreated here. So there's some evidence. What they've done is that they've taken Adele's music and compared it to Sam Smith. This is Adele. So then they took Adele and they slowed down her voice to sound like Sam Smith's singing range. Sounds like this. Okay, that's kind of freaky. Okay. That's kind of freaky. So this is what Sam Smith's voice sounds like. Then they took Sam Smith's voice and sped it up to sound like Adele. So that's actually Sam Smith, not Adele. Jono, can you play the very first clip again? Play this. Play the fourth clip and then the first clip. I want to hear them back to back. First one, this is Sam Smith. Sped up. And then the very first clip, this is actually Adele. That's weird. That's weird. I mean, well, uh, okay. They're both dynamite singers. They're they both are. awesome. They're both British. They both sing about heartbreak. The, the right, pattern right. is there. This has more ground than most conspiracy theories, I'd say. Just saying, you have never seen you have never seen them in the same room no. at the same time. I love them both, but, so it doesn't bother me if it's the same person. I think it's great. Smam Dell. S- S- Sam, I'm trying to think of the Sam same Dell. Ad- Ad- 
Ed Smith. Adam. Ad, ad, just Adam. <laughs> just calling it Adam. <laughs> oh, my God. It's New Music Monday here early on a Tuesday morning. Uh, to finish this off, this is actually Sam Smith, as far as we know, not Adele slowed down, as far as we can tell. Uh, to be confirmed, though. This is The Shift Podcast. Well, here on The Shift, we love we love our airplanes. We love dirting out about airplanes. And then we found some articles about uh, new airplanes. I was given some advice long ago. And actually, I, when I took my pilot's license, which I didn't finish, by the way, because I was busy being a dad. Um, but one day I will. So I went into the world of liking remote control airplanes because that was just as much fun. And I was always told, look, what do you want? Do you want an airplane that looks good or do you want an airplane that flies well? Because you can't have both. And the best airplanes and efficient airplanes are usually pretty ugly. The pretty ones, eh, not as not as efficient. So we wanted to get some help with that because there are new airplanes that have uh, been proposed anyway by NASA and have worked with Boeing for incredibly efficient, sustainable flight, long distance flight, uh, and they're kind of ugly. So it sort of makes sense. Our guest right now to get into this conversation is Joshua Brinkerhoff. He's Associate Professor of Mechanical Engineering, UBC Okanagan, and, um, and a bit of a fan about these things. Uh, Joshua... Have you seen these new these new planes that are? I'll put the link up at shiftheads.ca by the way, so you can see them too. Have you seen them? Sure. Yeah. So what I see is a uh, family of aircraft, the transonic truss based wing, uh, truss braced wing configuration. And uh, I mean to say that they're ugly. Maybe it's uh, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. That could be. Um, I think that it's elegant, and when you understand what what's motivating the designs and the physics behind that, then you really begin to appreciate maybe the the hidden beauty of the design. All right, so tell me about the hidden beauty. They kind of look like small versions of a 737 that most people would see, except they look more like the Cessna raised wing. The wing is on the top of the plane, not out of the bottom of the plane like you see on most commercial airliners uh, today. So what do you see here that makes this elegant and beautiful? Right, so the idea here is that you're trying to increase the efficiency of the aircraft. And what that means is you want to be able to generate the lift, to generate the, the, the ability for the aircraft to produce that lift, to stay in the air and fly it at a speed that makes it you know, viable for the kinds of routes that people want to fly on, but do that with fewer and fewer uh, amounts of fuel and fewer and fewer emissions that, that that's required. And really what, what is needed for an aircraft to fly efficiently is to generate as much lift as it possibly can with a minimum amount of drag. That's result as a uh, that that that's created as a, as a penalty of creating that lift, and inevitably when you create lift in an aircraft or in, by a bird or any lifting body, a portion of that lift also generates drag, and so the way that we can avoid creating so-called lift-induced drag is by making the wingspan or making the aspect ratio of the ring, wing. And, and the aspect ratio means how wide your wings are for a given area of wing as large as possible. And so imagine if you have an albatross, really, really, really long, wide wings, and compare that to a hummingbird, narrow uh, wings. That's because they fly very, very different types of uh, 
well, they fly in different ways. And the albatross is trying to soar over the ocean, right? Like from one pole to the next, very, very long distances and do it very efficiently. And so if we can make aircraft with really, really super wide wingspans, long wings for a given wing area, then we can generate that lift more efficiently. And this is the challenge. And this is what's driving the uh, new Boeing design to have the, the, the wing that you described. It's a high wing. That means it's it's connected to the top of the aircraft, the top of the fuselage. And being so long, that means that the, the wings would have a tendency to droop down and so there's a truss, a small triangular beam that connects from the bottom of the aircraft somewhere into the middle of the wing. And so that, that truss supports the wing, allows for the wing to be much, much wider or a, a longer wingspan than we would normally get in a typical aircraft design. And that allows for your wingtips to be further out, generate less drag for a given amount of lift and be and, and able to sustain or support the structure at the same time. And the high wing has another benefit in that now your wing is further away from the ground when your aircraft is, is landing and taking off and sitting on the ground. And that allows for you to, to put larger or different kinds of engines under the wing uh, because there's now more space for them. And you can make more efficient, more sustainable types of propulsion systems into that wing. So overall, the design change actually opens up the parameter space for all kinds of neat and different types of technologies. Uh, it does beg the question, why wouldn't they have done this so long ago? Because raised wing aircraft is not new. And in fact, if you look at these things, I find them eerily similar to the Antonov airplanes, really. When you look at those big cargo planes with those big tall wings, I mean, they, they lift heavy, heavy loads. Um, the wheelbase is very similar to how they're proposing for this. I mean, they're not a whole lot different from that design. I mean, obviously, the surface area of, that you're describing, these wings look more like a glider Yep. wing thin uh more knife-like than those big chunky ones on the cargo yes. planes but you know really there's a lot of similarities to the efficiency that comes from those heavy lift ones yeah you're right i mean those antonov cargo aircraft I and mean, they, they are lifting hundreds of thousands of kilograms so they, they have to generate tremendous amount of lift and at the same time you have to be able to get the the cargo off the ground off the aircraft when it's on the ground and that's what favors the high wing in those aircraft configurations, because then you can park your aircraft on the ground. The fuselage is only a meter or so above the ground, and your engines and wing is really high up, and that gives you more ground, ground clearance. You can make your gear shorter, and it just facilitates getting things in and off your aircraft on the ground. Um, aerodynamically, there are really very little differences between a high wing configuration and a low wing configuration when, when it comes to lift generation. There are other factors uh, relating to the way that the wing is, is mounted to the fuselage or the, the junction between the wing and the fuselage that will be different between a high and low wing configuration. But I think the reason, the motivation here for the high wing uh, is, 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 is more structural and related to the structure. Because if you have this super, super wide, large wingspan, it's hard to make that wingspan stiff enough to avoid the wings drooping down and hitting the ground or 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 drooping up and hitting and and and, and you know being able to remain the correct uh, structural rigidity for the aircraft to operate properly and that allow uh, but the truss that 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 goes from the bottom of the fuselage up to the wing can support that and relieve some of the loads and i think the other novel thing about the design is that it, it yeah it, it it's in in terms of its geometry is very similar to existing designs, but it allows for a, 
a much wider wing than would be present on that size of aircraft. And it also would allow for larger or different types of materials, different types of materials within the aircraft itself, composite materials, high strength materials, low weight materials, things that can be, um, you know, much higher performance for the aircraft. And then, as I mentioned already, novel types of propulsion systems. So efficiency is everything. I mean, we all learning this is that, you know, air travel takes gobbles up a lot of fuel to get there, which is costs. And especially with volatility inside that market in general for costs, we all would like to go places. Uh, the, the notion that we can get on these long trips on electric plane just is so far down the road. Um, that's for sure. If ever, it probably takes new technology to be on electric to get um, you know, these long distances, little short hops. Sure. That could be a real great opportunity, but not for these long ones. And so this efficiency thing starts to really matter. Boeing has the Dreamliner, right? Composite, like crazy, do not touch it, whatever uh, you do. That one, let's talk about turbulence a little bit and the comfort of the ride. Cause many people don't like to fly in airplanes because bumps, right? The bumps, yeah. people feel fragile when there's bumps. And I've been on some nasty turbulent flights and I've been on and seen people be really scared. And I've been in some very minimal turbulent flights and see people be really, really scared. With a lot of that composite, the way that we always joke about the Dreamliner, of course, is like the wings flap. They yeah. absorb a lot of that turbulent and you can actually see them move like it kind of like it just sort of glides through the air and it absorbs a lot of that wouldn't that be a big part of that would you lose some of that when you um put these extra struts in that that hold up the wings and and is this going to be one of the potential drawbacks of this new design for efficiency you're giving up some of that flexibility to cut through turbulence i don't think so i don't i don't think that that would change the dynamics very much of the aircraft of course we need the trust there to ensure that the wing doesn't flex in excess of its design um i think the trust is there not so much to uh, control the wing flex in the air as the amount of wing flex that will be present on the ground. Because imagine what's going on when your aircraft is on the ground, you fill it full of fuel. Oftentimes the fuel is stored in the wings. You have the engines mounted to the wings and the aircraft's not flying. So it's not generating any lift, but that means all of the weight of that weight of the fuel in the wings is causing those wings to bend down. And if they're not supported, they're gonna, and they're very, very wide, they're gonna bend down and touch the ground. When you're flying, the lift gener that's generated by the wings will bend them back up. And in fact, like you said, they'll bend up quite a lot. So I think the truss is there. Uh, no doubt it, it it's important during flight, but I think it's most important on the ground to ensure that the wing that is very wide and flexible doesn't, under the weight of the fuel and the engines, bend down and touch the ground on the ground. So now you're a mechanical engineer, so you get to look at all these things for the workability and efficiency and all those pieces that go together. We as consumers, though, I feel like there's things that we don't need to know that you mechanical engineers that you guys can worry about that we do not need to know. And I'll give somebody an example. I'll give an example for everybody to understand. And again, I even caution with this example. People do not understand that airplanes are like a tricycle for the most part when they're on the ground. And there, people will always complain, well, why do they load the airplane this way? They load the front of the plane first, and then everybody, you know, they kind of get in the way of each other, and then they load the back of the plane last. Well, they do that so the plane doesn't tip, 
right? I mean, that's that's the reality. There are some planes like the Sobs. They actually have a pogo stick on the back. That the very first thing that happens when that plane parks is they actually hang a stick in the back, just in case that barely touches the ground to give it support in case it tips backwards. So there are all kinds of things that go on in these planes that we don't know that are going on in order to keep us safe, right? And is there an element here, at least maybe from your professional work, that there are just some some things that people don't need to know um, that are happening that maybe get into our imaginations a little bit? I That's a good question. Um, I have relatives that are afraid of flying and from time to time, I'll, I'll, I'll pro- prompt them or prod them with some ground tests or flight tests or various other kinds of tests that are showing how 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 well the aircraft can perform under stre- extreme conditions. And in, to me, that gives me peace of mind. To, to them, it sometimes makes them worried because they didn't know that such an extreme condition could exist. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, so I mean, like, I guess it feeds the dragon a little bit, right? That's right. Yeah. It, it depends on that. And I mean, uh, you're right. The loading is really important and, and, and these aircraft are designed uh, so that there's a certain operational and logistical, uh, you know, procedure that needs to be followed. Um, I mean, uh, to me, I think the, the more people know, and the more they understand, the more they appreciate what's gone into those aircraft. Like you said, they're tremendously, uh, tremendously designed, tremendously engineered. Sometimes, you know, I think that that's going to help in terms of the appreciation that the public has for what it is. It's actually, we we, we get on an aircraft and we, you know, read our books or we do a crossword puzzle or watch a movie. Uh, and sometimes it's just oblivious the amount of actual, uh, you know, human effort that goes into those uh, those machines. Well, but here's the thing. People don't know that if you're going on a long flight and, um, you know, maybe an Airbus 320, 330 kind of thing, or a 737, typical commuter aircraft. And if it's a long flight and you're going to a place, say from, I'm in Calgary, so I'll use that as an example, Costa Rica, some of the places in the north end of South America, like that is at the outer reaches of the range. And you ever wonder why, well, why don't these planes go from here to Hawaii at this time of year, but only this time of year? Mm-hmm. Well, that's because of wind and all the safety things that are all there for 30 minutes and extra alternative landing and all those things that are there. But there literally were times that when an airplane is on the ground and its weight balances out because it's absolutely full of people, they use averages for weight, by the way. So a heavier dude counterbalances for the child that's in the seat next to him, but they've got that stuff dialed in like safety level off the charts. But there are times where they will have to take three suitcases, just three off of that airplane for it to be compliant to fly that far. Like we're talking going that far in an airplane and three suitcases is the breaking point by the math anyway. So maybe speak to that a little bit because it is a very definitive safety line that they have to follow. And at the same time though, three suitcases, boy, like you could pull off three light ones and not have it be right. Like based on averages, it's okay. But based on the math, maybe not. I don't know. So um, can you speak to that part? Because I think it speaks to both things you're talking about, those extreme scenarios, plus the amount of safety that goes into it. Sure. Yeah. I mean, these are established based off of many, many decades of operational experience um, combined with right incidences that have happened that have been learned from. Um, I mean, I think as far as these novel types of designs are concerned, not a lot is going to change in terms of the way that they're they're handled on the ground. 
I don't think that there's going to be a, a tremendous modification in the way that you know safety rules are are created and implemented. Um, you know that aviation is very safety conscious, safety culture, and so uh, I mean, yeah, with respect to the you know the the fine margins that are are employed, I mean, it's just a question of cost as well as um, operate you know the operational constraints and the safety constraints. And so I, I think that's what brings the, the number to, to three suitcases, right? Or four suitcases, those kinds of things, right? You're, you're trying to optimize safety at the, at the same time, you're trying to ensure that the aircraft is gonna be able to perform the operation that you want it to do with the number of passengers you have and the luggage that they're gonna be carrying on. No one wants to be inconvenienced because yours was one of those three suitcases that got that got left home. But if the trade-off is nobody goes or nobody yep. makes it or your suitcase doesn't make it, a lot of people might have a different attitude about it. I mean, that's always something that we should keep in mind. I mean, we hear a lot about the frustrations and the headaches associated with air travel. Well, there's a worse headache that one could have, and that is that you can't go or something worse happens. And so yeah, I, I think it. having that perspective is always good and helpful. Yeah. Okay. So be honest with me, Joshua, you're on an airplane, there's turbulence. What goes through Joshua's head? Oh, I love it. I that, was going to say. I, yeah, I love it. Is, I, it, is that uh, what it is? Is it like head. this, like, uh-oh, bumps, put on my seatbelt, that's inconvenient? Or is like, okay, show me what you can do? No, I'm excited. Uh, whenever there's turbulence and it, it, then I, I begin feeling like they are not, now the aircraft, now the, now the ride has become interesting. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think I've ever flown through really severe turbulence, not the kind, you know, where people are injured. Yeah. Um, I've never been in that environment, but, but the kinds of turbulence that you get in, you know, when you're flying, I live in Kelowna, when you're flying into Kelowna, you get a little bit of bumps and I enjoy that. It's kind of fun. And then you end, end up seeing the aircraft's wings, you know, bouncing up and down out, out the window. And, and then I, what, what, what comes through my mind is all of the different calculations that I show to my students in class when we're looking at, right, all these aerodynamics, uh, aeroelastic effects that are taking place. And I just think about, hey, those calculations that we do and the the uh, the theory that I give to my students, it has real world implications and it has and it mat matters and it means something. Hmm. And I can experience it. Experience it firsthand. Well, not everybody is going to be as excited as Joshua is riding um, through the white knuckle of turbulence. Uh, it's fascinating. Are you excited where this is headed, though, with these airplanes? The most exciting thing to me is the novel propulsion systems that are coming down the pipe with respect to new technologies. I mean, the truss-braced transonic aircraft is 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 a novel aircraft configuration, right? Configuring the aircraft in a novel way. What I think is the most exciting is, well, if we're trying to reduce emissions, and we mentioned it a little bit earlier, we need to electrify or we need to introduce alternative uh, propulsion systems or alternative fuels or alternative ways of, of propelling the aircraft. Maybe, yeah, like you said, with smaller uh, flights, we can electrify with the very, very, very large flights uh, have some challenges. But actually, the bulk of uh, transportation emissions from the aviation sector come from the medium range, the 737s, the, the you know, you know, 130 to 200 passenger range, single aisle aircraft. That's where 70 or even more percent of the aviation emissions live. And so decarbonizing those is really the most important thing. That's where the most emissions come from. And this truss-braced wing is one step. Um, other you know, ideas are so-called blended wing body, where the fuselage and the wing are all just one uh, single shape. Mm -hmm. And the wing 
is the fuselage and people don't sit in a cigar with wings. It's, it's more elegant. Um, and then my actual area of expertise is on propulsion systems, the novel types of propulsion systems, blending electric and conventional and alternative fuels, and perhaps even looking to uh, hydrogen for uh, that decarbonization for the aviation sector. Mm-hmm. And in theory, anyway, with what technology of batteries today, the hydrogen option pulls off all the weight of those extra batteries being on there, um, which would be really kind of exciting, I think, for how far those things could go and, and how yeah. the, the efficiency that could come with them. Hydrogen is a really interesting beast. By mass, it's very energy dense. By volume, less so because it's so light in itself. So if you need to stick a lot of energy into an into a aircraft via hydrogen, then the aircraft configuration needs to change because you need your tanks to be much bigger and much uh, the actual volume of those tanks is larger. But if you can reconfigure the aircraft, so it's no longer a fuselage and wing type configuration, conventional one, but it's more integral to the aircraft, then you can actually achieve additional benefits. And that would change the calculus on how economical hydrogen would be and how much energy savings or, excuse me, uh, emissions savings uh, one could achieve. There's a lot to work there. It's probably not going to be present in 15 years or, or 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 thereabouts. But if we look even further down the road, I think that there's a lot of novelty. There's a lot of uh, excitement around hydrogen, and you can you can store liquid hydrogen. Now you have uh, very relatively energy dense by volume uh, storage of of fuel. There's uh, safety challenges associated with that that have to be addressed. But it's very gentle. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> But nonetheless, I mean, there's a there's more than 50 or, or even more than that years of experience of, of using uh, hydrogen for propulsion systems um, from our friends in the space industry. And uh, there's a lot of, of learning still to do, but there's also a lot of excitement and a lot of opportunity and possibility that can be applied to civil aviation. So there you go. Get into STEM uh, so you can learn this stuff too. get involved in the um in the mechanics and all these things that that are happening here with uh, Joshua Brinkeroff, Associate Professor of Mechanical Engineering, UBC Okanagan. And by the way, if that's not your jam, I'm just saying other opportunity, architect, because the airports will probably need to change a little bit too as this stuff changes. So lots of opportunity here. It's cool. Thanks for being here. Nice to meet you, Joshua. Thank you so much, Shane. This is The Shift Podcast. Sorry, he's on the West Coast and he's here. Uncle Andy, how are you? I'm great, Shane. How are you doing? It is a beautiful day. It was a little chilly. The wind was chilly today. Um, but, you know, January, not so bad, that's for sure. Um, beautiful day today. I had sent Andy a, uh, a request about conversation here on the shift about an app. Apple has put a new app out, which, based on the description of the app, sounds pretty dynamite. Yep. But I got to tell you, I felt um, I want to talk about Android and iPhone just in general, by the way. And uh, I felt a little uncomfortable a la U2 songs um, with a new app appearing on my phone. I feel like I should have an option to say yay or nay to this, Andy. 
Yeah. Is it because you don't have that option to opt in that you just get an update and all of a sudden this new app appears on your phone? It was a it whole new iOS update. And then I was thinking about like PCs, right? Like if you had updated your Windows and there was a new solitaire game or chess game that was included in the new Windows, you would just automatically get that chess game, right? Yeah. So from that perspective, I'm like, well, then why does this bother me? But the reality is it it really, I found it off-putting because I was like, wait a second, I thought my phone got hacked, I did the Google, I realized it's an Apple app. Like in this world of them preaching safety, responsibility, two-factor authentication, take care of your stuff, yet they go put stuff on there. I just, it, I feel like there should be a prompt that says, this update includes a new app called whatever. Would you like to include it? Yay or nay? Yeah, that's a that's a good point. Um, the 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 reason why, and so this app that we're talking about is called Freeform. It's kind of like a whiteboard where you could throw all your notes, and you can kind of, if you have an Apple Pen, you can scribble on it. Um, but it 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 really is kind of, I think, what they're trying to do with this, Shane, is replace the Notes app that's that's already built in to the Apple. Uh, iPhone and iOS devices. I think that's really what they're going for. So it's not something that you could really opt in, but you're right. They just kind of just up, you, you do this update and all of a sudden this new app. And sometimes they'll even take apps away. Uh, they made some changes to the weather app. I don't know if you noticed that as well, Shane. I don't use the Apple weather app. So no, I didn't. But is this um is this to replace notes because it looks like it competes more with Canva and even Trello and all these whiteboarding stickies because on the on my Mac computer there is stickies that software but that's not on my phone and that's kind of looks like an expansion of that stuff um, this isn't to replace the old text notes though no I think I think overall what they're trying to do is change people's behaviors and so what you're talking about with this freeform app is that like you said it's like a digital whiteboard you could actually put little sticky notes inside there little yellow sticky notes you can change the color you could put reminders you can even um, you know put images on there what's really cool is if you have two different Apple devices say you have a MacBook Pro that you're watching or have freeform on and then you take your iPad you can actually go in there and say take a picture take a picture on your iPad, and then it will suddenly appear inside the freeform uh, kind of whiteboard. And from there, it's a collaborative tool. So like you were saying, it could replace uh, Trello and these other collaboration tools. In my, I don't know if you ever tried this, but on the Windows side, they have a, a app called OneNote. And it's very much Apple's version of OneNote, where you can kind of just throw anything on there and brainstorm, you collaborate with people. You can go on FaceTime have a FaceTime conversation while you're working on this whiteboard remotely. So I think a lot of people, a lot of people are liking it. They find it as a powerful collaboration tool, um, but it is something that is now just kind of embedded. It's one of those embedded apps that Apple is going to just have as part of their whole iOS devices. So you really can't escape it. But like I said, they want people to keep using this. And then maybe one day they take away just that, that standard notes app away because in, in their mind, this is a much more powerful way to take notes because if you're searching on the internet, you can just grab stuff and throw it into this kind of whiteboard that's inside Freeform and then share it or collaborate it or save it. And everything goes into iCloud. So it doesn't matter what device you have, you're going to be able to access that. Well, the good news about the old notes is you can save it on your Gmail, you can save it into your Exchange, you can save it into your iCloud, you can save it anywhere. So 
I would be doubtful that it will actually go away because there's too many platforms that are using the basic text notes. And not to mention that notes, text notes actually works as a scanner now. You can scan documents with it. So that's incredibly efficient, that's for sure. But I can't be the only one. I'm curious if you have found it on your phone, 877-399-9898. Like, to me, it seems like there's a prompt. This new software update includes new apps like this, this, and this. Would you like them included, yes or no? Right? And it's it's kind of like I'm getting put off with Apple because in my in my, I mean, this is an expensive device, right? Like I pay a lot of money for an iPhone, more expensive than most Androids. And right now, you know, the alerts, there's gotta be some research to the psychology of alerts. iPhone not backed up. Well, my iPhone is backed up. It's just not backed up the way they want it to be backed up. And so when I click okay, then I get another message trying to upsell me more iCloud space. And there's always a little one or a two messages. Like I can never clear my messages. OCD people must lose their mind because I can't clear the messages because there's always another sales pitch. Facebook does it too. And I can never escape their sales pitch ever. And I paid for the device. I don't think I should have to get a sales pitch. If I go buy a car and I don't want to hear from the dealership again, I just tell them, leave me alone. But yet with these devices, they feel like they can invade our lives. And I, I do feel like this is a bit of an invasion, putting a new app on my phone without my permission. Yeah. And you know what? I agree with you 100% because they are actually pushing iCloud. They want us to store more and more information into the cloud because you have to pay for that cloud and it fills up quickly. The number one gadget, believe it or not, Shane, every time I mention it, I get so many emails and from Apple users. And it's this little tiny thumb drive that you could work with your iOS devices called iExpand. It's like a flash drive for your iPhone. So it has a lightning port on one side. You take all your your videos and your photos that are filling up your phone. You literally drag it onto this little thumb drive. Then you take it on the other side. It has a standard USB port where you put into your computer and literally drag and drop all those photos. You can put it onto your own external hard drive, back it up on your computer. And you don't have to worry about iCloud. Now, it's convenient to be able to access everything from the cloud, but you got to pay for it. And it fills up. And then you pay for more. Google's doing the exact same thing with Google, yep. um, their cloud storage, Google One. People don't realize They're, that when you, you're doing, you're, you're saving. So you know that box of photos in your basement you never look at? Imagine paying $2 a month for the rest of your life. Yes. That's what it is. That's exactly what it is. In and hard drive space. It, 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 but here, here's the thing. We have the technology to create our own clouds. So you could have, say, a bunch of, um, it's called the Network atta- Attached Storage, NAS for short. And you set this up to your router in your house. So it's like, a, it's like a little mini server for your home. And it's got hard drives in it. So you got terabytes and terabytes of data. You could actually set it up so that all your photos and videos get backed up onto that. It's your own cloud. It's on your own hard drives and you don't have to pay a subscription service. I have one of these devices, Shane. It's about, oh, geez, eight years old, nine years old. But I want to get the new one and I'm going to create the handy, handy cloud and I'm going to move everything away from all these other cloud storages which are trying to get us to pay for and just build your own cloud, keep all your stuff. And then you know that it's like renting. You're renting space to hold everything up in the cloud, but we might as well just buy buy our, our own cloud and store everything there. However, you still want to back it up somewhere in case your house burns down because then 
all your hard drive and your files. Well, that's just it, right? So, like, so I have I have NAS in my house because uh, with my business, right? So I have like multi bay, multi RAID, everything. And RAID means that my every hard drive I have, there's a duplicate hard drive. Yes. So I can one of the hard drives can die. I can pull it out, put it in a new hard drive. All my stuff is safe. But that doesn't exclude the fact that the hard drives do die and the technology does change on the hard drives. And yes. so if you look at $2 a month or even $5 a month, $60 over the course of 10 years, $600, that is cheaper than my NAS. My hard yeah. drives are expensive. They're about 200 bucks or 300 bucks a piece. And there's a long row of them with all the bays there. Right now, I need more power than most people do because of the nature of my, my non-radio work. So the reality is if, if it's actually economically cheaper to pay per month for the rest of my life than it is to keep updating these hard drives. And so it's like, it's, they've got us. They said it's a paperless yes. world. They said, let's do the cloud. And everyone was like, yay. And we were like, oh crap, we're going to be paying rent forever. Yeah. Yeah. That's what's happening. Pretty much. And and they do it by convenience. We are just creatures. We love convenience. We love these oh, we're apps lazy. where you can get food. I think you're too nice. You're saying we love convenience. That's wrong, Andy. We're lazy. We're just <laughs> okay, so yeah. lazy. Yes, we are incredibly lazy. But here's the thing, and I, I, I've noticed that Google is doing this. All that data that you save on their cloud, they're then using AI and going through all of that. So if, Searching you, it. if you save your photos, it could recognize like pictures of people. You could actually say... This is my niece or my nephew. And as they grow up, that AI can recognize their face and just then you can search just that name and all of their photos will come up. It's, it's amazing. I, I do it all the time. Shane, I did a kitchen reno. So I search in Google Photos, kitchen, and all the pictures of my kitchen or any kitchen, it can recognize that and, and it comes up. So it, it does help you search and find things. But at the same time, like you say, they're just trying to get us. They love tech companies, love subscription services. They just love yeah. it when you well, can't cancel. It's not like Netflix. All your, you got all your, your, all your eggs in one basket in the cloud. And then they're like, what are you going to do? Just grab all this and migrate to another cloud? Highly well, unlikely. This is why that's how they get us. We're hearing in cars why they want to start charging as opposed to charging you for heated seats. They want to charge you a subscription for a heated steering wheel and so on. Because you'll forget. I was an Android user because um, I got an Android. Oh, nice. so I got my I got my new I got my new phone, and uh, it arrived. It, it arrived today. Yep, it's the Z4 uh, Flip. Yep, wonderful. I put my I put my SIM card in it right now. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I put my SIM card in it, and uh, I was an Android user for about 17 minutes, and then I went to copy. I'm like, oh, I got to copy something from my phone to my Mac, and I couldn't. I was like, oh, this is dumb. So I took my SIM card out of my Z4 Flip, and I put it away. I was like, this is dumb. That was good while it lasted, Shane. <laughs> I was an Android user for less than 20 minutes. So anyway, anybody want a phone? <laughs> Andy Barrar is here. We have some more um, DIY-type gardening things like he loves to do in BC where he is. Tis the season to get ready, but first... Uh, students are stealing. Well, it's not plagiarism because the AI is rewriting it every single time. But Andy, colleges and high schools are being very aware of chat GPT because students don't have to plagiarize essays anymore. They can get a computer to write them. Yeah, Shane, you know, I don't know if you've used chat GPT. Obviously, you have. I know you. You're a techie. You're obviously going to be trying. it. You have not used it yet. No, I've never opened it. Oh, okay. Well, ChatGPT is really kind of like taking over the internet. It is kind of like what I, I see it as the future of search. 
So we're kind of, when we see Google search, you know, you search something, this one, you can really ask it and boy, it could write you an essay. And I wonder because of the, how good it is that the, the college essay might be over right now, because this is really doing that for you. And it can do it in seconds. You just write, you know, tell me about blah, 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 and mention this, this, and that, and it will do it for you. And I, I've, I've been playing around with it, Shane. I actually used it the other day. Someone reached out to me, someone that I, I worked with before, they're looking for a new job. He's like, hey, can you write me a recommendation letter? And I was like, oh, no problem. I'll do that for you. And then I was sitting there, had a bit of a writer's block. So I was like, oh, I wonder if I could use chat GPT. So I wrote in there, write me a generic recommendation letter for a former colleague. Sure enough, it came out with this nice generic recommendation. Now, from that, I actually used that as a starting block and then I customized it. But I was wondering if I was in school right now, I'd be all over this. And I can just imagine that a 19-year-old, you know, freshman in school using this technology. Universities understand this now. Some professors are talking about it inside the classroom and using it because the cat's out of the bag. This is the future. Uh, they are just launched a subscription service for it for like $42. There still is a free version, but I guarantee you a lot of kids who are cramming late at night are just throwing it on chat GPT and, and hoping that it can write that essay that they couldn't. But the question is, you know, how will schools use this? Will they embrace it? Will they try to ban it? We're going to find out really, really soon. Universities had their software where they could search segments of an essay and yep. find out. You could just actually copy a paragraph or a few sentences and paste it in Google and see if it comes up anywhere else. This is written different every time, and it, it reads your writing style to get there. It's fascinating. We need to know about a chat GPT. Beware of those love letters on Valentine's. They could be fake from an AI bot. You never know. Uh, Handy, do you want to talk a little about the gardening? Because you posted a video at shiftheads.ca. Um, what, what do we got there? Yeah, so this is one of the coolest gadgets that I've seen this year. Something I'm I'm looking to review because it almost seems too good to be true, Shane. Now, a lot of us, when you're cooking, you got all these food scraps, food waste, you know, that we throw in the green bin. This is the device. It's almost like the size of, of uh, a garbage can that you would have in your kitchen. And what it does, it has, it comes with this bed of microorganisms. It looks just like, kind of like soil on the bottom. You put your food scraps into it. And what it does is it churns it and it uses microorganisms. And they say within 24 hours, 90% of that can be, you know, reduced. And so it takes out kind of all the, the, the moisture out of the food. It dries it right up and it takes away all the stink. So it goes through this carbon filter. So you put all this stuff in there. It kind of just mushes it all up and it turns it into fertilizer. So the end, you take that, you put it in your garden and it naturally for your your vegetable garden. So it's like a complete cycle. And I just love it. It's called the wrinkle. If people want to see a video of it in action, just go to shiftheads.ca. You can go to handyandymedia.com or search Handy Andy Media on Facebook to check this out. One of the coolest gadget chain. It's almost too good to be true. Like free fertilizer from the food scraps that you already have. Those eggshells, coffee beans and you know, everything that you have from your kitchen suddenly is going to be able to put in there. I think it's something that uh, I'm really looking to review because if, if it's a winner, I, I should be their spokesperson. It's called the the wrinkle, not with a W, but with an R. Uh, you got to check it out. HandyAndyMedia.com. 
Well, the notion that we can expedite, um, you know, that compost, because those big, ugly compost bins in the backyard, they stink, they take forever. I know that in BC, where you guys get a little bit more time for the bacteria to get in there, that's awesome. In Alberta, we kind of get like a, like, this is probably true for Winnipeg and Northern Ontario. We kind of get this like sludgy grossness. Yeah. And then it freezes and then it melts and then it freezes. So it stinks and it rots and it becomes really gross. So it's not like it's a, it's not a nice process, that's for sure. Check out the video. It's at shiftheads.ca, handyandymedia.com. You can see it on our Facebook group. Thank you, brother. Thanks, Shane. This is the Shift Podcast. Are you okay with pronunciation? Pronunciation? Uh, yes, Uh in our line of work, sometimes we need guides and spelling to help us pronounce words <laughs> properly. Some of us never get them. Some of sometimes, yeah. Which you think I'd be better at that from my time as a news anchor, but uh, you know, it's uh, sorry, it slips my mind sometimes when I'm writing all your scripts. Uh, but you know, it's important to have those guidelines because you know, it I is. think if if you pronounce someone's name incorrectly and they correct you and you can address that really quickly. You know, nine times out of 10, it's either out of complete ignorance or a mistake. But, you know, uh, when you don't put in the work to learn how to properly pronounce something, uh, pronounce something like I just did with the word pronounce, uh, you know, it can be a little <laughs> disrespectful, I think. It's completely disrespectful. I think that everyone can tolerate somebody trying and getting it wrong. I'll go back to a conversation yeah. we had um, with Mexiquan Fine Day. And Max had said with us about land acknowledgements that we hear in Canada. And I asked Max, who um, is from Treaty 6, I said, what do you think about land acknowledgements? And his response, I'm paraphrasing, was basically, you will hear a, an audible groan in the audience from me if somebody tries to do a land acknowledgement and can't even pronounce the... Mm -hmm the name of the land or or the neighborhoods or the communities or the people properly. And it is, I think it's completely disrespectful to mispronounce a name. I do it from time to time. It's usually from a lack of preparedness. Call it for what it is. It's true. Yeah. And um, I think that you really do acknowledge and compliment somebody when you try to pronounce it properly. Now, some people... When it comes to names, some people are okay with a more English-based uh, pronunciation of their name than trying to say it properly. I think Gurdip uh, Punder is probably the best. Now, I can't roll my R's, but I, I try to get, you know, Gurdip Punder. That, that's how he pronounces his name properly. Gurdip Pander is sort of the, the English pronunciation. He doesn't ever give us grief if we say it this way or, or that way. I think you're, I think it matters when you can try to say it properly, at least try, right? And I would rather get it wrong and have someone correct me than to completely butcher somebody's name. And there was a time, and now I'm forgetting, um, it wasn't Colby Calais, it was Sarah, oh, I'll think Ellis or, uh, Sarah Barellis, Barellis, yeah. Borellis, yeah. yeah, Sarah Borellis. And Sarah Borellis is a singer, a pop singer from about 10 years or so ago. Oh, I remember this, yeah. And um, I had uh, a boss in radio who said, no, we're going to pronounce it Beret. 
because it was spelt. It's a French spelling, but it, an American singer that uh, Borellis is, is how it was. But it was the French pronunciation. And we were all like, what are you talking about? He's like, no, we're Canadian, so we'll do it beret. And uh, we all were like, no, or she pronounces it Borellis. We'll say Borellis. That's how it works. Some people are stupid. Anyway. Um, so I, just, I, think, I think you're right. I think it does matter. And some names can be really hard to pronounce. Actually, the word uh, pronounce and pronunciate is quite difficult to pronounce. Now, we're Canadian. To answer this question, do you think there are hard words? Or these are hard words to pronounce. There's a typo. Well done. So there There's we go. a we'll typo just, uh, in the pronunciation we story. Go. Yeah, yeah. Well yeah. done, <laughs> my friend. That's a typo. Okay. Yes. Do you think these are hard words to pronounce? Okay. Canucks and Boudreaux. Now, Boudreaux would be the proper way. My buddy Eve Boudreaux, I've, I've got some experience with that one because I've known Eve for uh, more than 20 years, 25 years. I don't think it's bad. It's tough, right? Canucks? No. Mm, easy. I mean, most people around the world knows, knows know Canadians as Canucks. Yeah. Um, yeah. Boudreaux, eh. I think that one's still pretty understandable if you've ever, you know, read anything from other places in the world. Boudreaux's tough. Canuck, easy. This is one U.S. broadcaster who pronounced these words on a national television broadcast last night when telling the hockey story of the coach from Vancouver who got fired. Former Washington Capitals coach Bruce Boudreaux has been fired by the Vancouver Can Canucks. The team announced the change Sunday, less than a week after president of hockey operations Jim Rutherford said major surgery was needed to fix the Canucks. Rick Tukid was hired as Boudreaux's replacement. Oh, my God, that's crazy. <laughs> okay, Jono, can you do me a favor? And can you just play that again? It's Boudreaux, Canucks, and not to mention the guy at the names and the end's name is Rick Tockett, not Tuchet. Former so, Washington uh, Capitals coach yeah, Bruce Thanks, Boudreaux has been fired by the Vancouver Can Canucks. The team announced the change Sunday, less than a week after president of hockey operations Jim Rutherford said major surgery was needed to fix the Canucks. Rick Tukit was hired as Boudreaux's replacement. <laughs> I hope Rick Tukit does well. <laughs> Tukit. I think we might need to tweak it a bit. Oh, oh, oh no. Oh. Anyway, yes. from That's here on right. out, they will be the Canucks. Yes, the Vancouver Canucks, until they can I think as team. a country, we just need to adjust for the American broadcaster. Yeah. Uh, if you missed the story, we did talk about it last night on the shift. It was a terrible employment standards story as far as I'm concerned. It's on the podcast if you want to hear more from our expert that we had on to chat about it. In fact, Taylor McKee was on. He's from Brock. He was great and helped us understand if this is a normal thing in sports. Uh, the Canucks fired Bruce Beaudreau uh, Bo, and replaced him with Rick Totchett. That's terrible. <laughs> so bad. <laughs> like, I can understand Boudreaux. Like, if it was spelled B-E-U or something like that, but it's B-O-U, so I can understand why she would say Boudreaux. But the other thing, though, is that I don't actually think it's her fault, usually, because if you're an anchor and you're reading a script, it's not always your job to put the script together. There's usually a typist or someone operating the teleprompter that's going to fix that. So... Mm -hmm. There, I, there's a couple of different things needed to go wrong. 
yes, it should be fixed. There's a couple things needed to happen for this to go wrong and they all went wrong and i'm kind of glad it did because now i will forever think of the vancouver canucks so if you're a canucks fan sorry canucks fan and you're cheering on your team and you know how they do the go nucks go and all that kind of stuff uh it is now go nukes go and that's exactly what they've done this season is gone oh very good (laughs) are you okay with Wild animals. Wild animals. Uh, uh, yeah, when I'm not encountering them, I think it's you have to have animals out in the wild. But, you know, me encountering them, it's not even that great. I even feel uncomfortable at the Calgary Zoo when I come face to face with the peacock that they just let roam around the zoo. There's like yeah, there's a peacock that doesn't have a cage and you can just, they can just chill outside. And mm. uh, I even feel uncomfortable around that thing. So there's a reason I live in, in a city. I'll just put it that way. Mm. Yeah. Well, I don't have a problem with wild animals. I have a problem with wild animals in non-wild places, I suppose. That that yeah. would be... Yeah. Right? Yeah. One wild animal is wreaking havoc in a neighborhood in Minnesota. Oh, oh Minnesota. Minnesota. It's not a bear or a fox or even a raccoon. It's a turkey. Rachel Gross says she lives in fear of going outside. The kind of nasty fear, like Ryan's fear of the peacock. Thanks to her neighbor, a wild turkey. Ooh, wild turkey. Mm. Who seems to have taken a liking to her property? This turkey attacks me every single day, follows me, goes up my stairs and tries to get in my house. Oh my God. When I leave in the car, follows me in my car. The lone wild turkey has drawn blood, pecked at tires, and chased cars. It gets on the back of my husband's truck and follows me. It rode to Chipotle with me one time. Even the cats have to watch their back. But I have to carry my broom and my water bottle and my golf club with me everywhere I go. Emily Alston worries about the kids who live in the mobile home park. I mean, my one-year-old grandbaby just moved in with us, and I'm afraid to even, like, take her outside, you know, especially when the weather gets nice, you know. <laughs> oh, you know. You know, eh? You know. Oh, Lee, that sounds like Minnesota. I love it. It's my, oh one my of my God. favorite accents. It's one of my, because it's oh, like it hybrid is. Canadian American. It's the most bizarre thing. And I love it. I love it. Fargo. You know, love it. Now, this is a very similar story eh, to the Ramsey turkey in Calgary a while ago. Although the Ramsey turkey in Calgary was more just a horny turkey that was looking for a lover. This seems to be a very scary turkey in Minnesota. That was CBS News, by the way. Oh, don't you know? (laughs) Don't you know? Oh, my. Uh, Residents reached out to the Department of Natural Resources who offered them suggestions, including removing bird feeders or chopping down branches where the turkey nests. While they've taken down their bird feeders, others still have them up inside the mobile home park. (laughs) Uh, On relocating the turkeys... Uh, The DNR says trapping and relocating nuisance turkeys is not an option. Why? The agency says the methods used to trap turkeys in remote areas are often impractical or ineffective in urban and suburban areas due to safety or disturbance. So it looks like the terrifying turkey is going to stay, and that lady's going to have to go with her golf club in her truck. 
to stay <laughs> safe from the turkey. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I love this story. That's so good. I had turkey for supper, eh? You had turkey for supper. I did, oh. eh? Well, when when Christmas happened there, or there was a sale at Costco, eh? After, and so I got a turkey on sale. It was for cheap. So then I, I cooked the turkey well after Christmas, and there was just so much meat on the turkey, eh? So I just I froze some. And then today was the day. Oh, that's fantastic. You know, you could have made a taco with that or a quesadilla. Had some guacamole oh. on the side, eh? Oh, I like the whack-a-moles. I could like the green whack-a-moles. I could put some of that on there, too. Oh, look! Tacos! Are you okay with? Taco Bell. Taco Bell. Do you remember Bell. the dog? Yes, I remember the Chihuahua. Yeah. Yo quiero Taco Bell. Yeah, exactly. I uh, I have some exciting news about Taco Bell. I have been a long advocate that I think Taco Bell gets a bad rap. I know what mm -hmm. I'm eating when I have it, but I think it tastes good. When Laura mm -hmm. was visiting, my partner, I took Laura to Taco Bell. We had we were doing some Christmas shopping. Oh, it was in the mall. Classy. And there was so much hesitation on Laura's Nothing part on getting best. a Crunchwrap Supreme. Laura's nothing but the lady. best for my Laura. Nothing but the best for my Laura. <laughs> and so we're sitting down and I say, we order the gourmet crunch wrap supreme with the oh. fire sauce with the fries. Ooh. Apparently it's a French Taco it's, Bell. Yeah. <laughs> Laura takes one bite of this crunch wrap supreme, which if you've never had one, is essentially a big tortilla with all the ingredients of a taco and a taco shell inside. And it's all wrapped and, and pressed. Is that the Laura one where it's a, basically a hard taco inside a soft taco? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Right. But it's folded, not an actual taco. Yeah. And then you don't, and it doesn't fall apart. Then it's easy. Exactly. Nice. Laura takes one bite of the Taco mm -hmm. Bell, Taco or Crunchwrap Supreme and says, I have been sleeping on Taco Bell. It loved it. And Laura got Taco Bell last week. So, you know, I think it's slept on. I think it's underrated. I love myself. I love myself. Some taco. I love myself, but I also love Taco Bell. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Congratulations Ring. on the self-love. That's I I'm not quite sure Taco Bell is self-love happening, at least feels like for it your body. It. Yeah. I love how later, it but... tastes. I'm not yes. quite sure of the nourishment that comes with it. Yeah. But I do love how it tastes. They used to have that, I don't think they have it anymore, the chili cheesy burrito. It was basically like this slimy meat. <laughs> in sauce with a bunch of cheese i don't want to say beef you know i'd hate to be uh yeah yeah it's, uh, but it was meatish and it was um it was uh it was the best i used to always get that like i'd get a couple of tacos or a burrito and then you get the chili cheese of burritos like that was the one when, yeah. it, when i was djing at red deer and we would drive back when your parents were dating and making out on my dance floor um <sighs> Well, I would drive to Edmonton and we'd go up and get records and, and DJ equipment and whatnot. And we would always get Taco Bell for the ride home. And that was in the afternoon. And then you DJ at nighttime. And so went the repercussions. Anyway, if we're going to talk about Yokito Taco Bell, we have to start this story the right way. I interrupted Ryan when he was recording that. He was deeply offended because he thoroughly enjoyed getting the Taco Bell. I had to have the bell in there. Are you kidding me? I think the bell's hilarious. I, I listened to some guy edit From Whom the Bell Tolls by Metallica and replaced the bell in that song with the Taco Bell bell. It's one of the funniest things I've ever heard in my life. So, of course, it has to be. A Taco Bell customer down in the States found something much spicier than his hot sauce in his taco. They found rat poison. 
At this time, it, it is labeled as a, uh, a, t a criminal attempt homicide. Sheriff spokesperson John Bartman said a customer bought food at the restaurant Sunday afternoon. While here, he argued with employees. Hours later, the man called 911 and was hospitalized. That hospital said they had a patient that had uh, possibly uh, consumed rat poison in his food from the same restaurant. Right now, what we're looking at is if the rat poison was actually put into his food at the restaurant. The manager of the restaurant called this ridiculous. She said they don't store any poison, any rat poison here at the store. She said they've turned over all their surveillance video to Arapahoe County Sheriff's investigators who are now reviewing that footage. The manager said sheriff's deputies came back Sunday night and closed down the restaurant saying we poisoned somebody. We didn't do anything like that. It didn't even add up, said the manager. CBS News Colorado. They contacted Taco Bell's corporate communications by email and received the following response. The safety of customers and team's members is a priority. The franchisee who owns and operates this location has informed uh, the media that they were working with local authorities in the investigation. If you're still hungry now, on January 6, 2022, Taco Bell launched a digital taco subscription service. Ryan probably subscribes to it. Mm -hmm. called the Taco Lovers Pass through the company app. For the cost of $10, a customer can order one of seven different tacos each day for 30 consecutive days. That's just so much tacos. That's, that's too much. You know, that's, on cell phones where they talk about rollover data from month to month? <laughs> rollover tacos? Can I get rollover tacos and just go once a week and get seven tacos? As long as they're as long as they're fresh, if they you know if they if they're waiting there and I don't need a rollover day taco, you know if it's fresh, hot off the whatever they make those things in, count count me in. I feel like it's reckless use of the word fresh. <laughs> <laughs> hey, the tomatoes taste fresh. I don't oh, know if it's because they are fresh or because they're something else on them, but they taste. Hey, fresh. Hey, don't let my doubt mislead you. I love it. Yeah, yeah I think we're I in do. So, on that. Yeah, as much are. as I'm banging on Taco Bell, you need to know I absolutely love it. So, maybe that's why I do it that way. I don't know. Thanks for listening to the Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.